Full Scope, Human Longevity and Performance Podcast. We want you to become the most exceptional, high-performing version of yourself. And to facilitate this, we are giving away the Longevity Fundamentals Handbook absolutely free. This is a tremendous resource that will tell you the lifestyle behaviors and mindset that will lead to the best outcomes and longevity. To get this, go to our website, wondermedicine.com or fullscope.org, put in your email, and we will send you this amazing resource, the Longevity Fundamentals Handbook. Primary care providers have been pushed to their breaking point in the United States. We are burned out, we are tired, and we need change urgently. Essentially, we're paid much less than our specialty colleagues. We have to take on a much broader scope of care that's more cognitively difficult than our specialty colleagues, and we end up handling handling all of the busy work and paperwork and jargon that is mandated for us by insurance and administration, and right now, we just don't have any autonomy. The relationships we have with our patients has been tainted, and we can't keep going this way. But I have a solution, and that solution is called direct primary care, also known as DPC. And direct primary care has the potential to save our drowning specialty, and that specialty being primary care. Everything, baby. Direct primary care is a very simple concept at heart. Basically, patients or a patient's employer will pay a doctor or other provider directly in exchange for medical care. This is often done on a subscription-based service at an affordable rate. For instance, at my clinic, Wonder Medicine, this is direct primary care, we charge patients $75 a month. And what that patient gets in exchange for that monthly payment is visits whenever medically indicated. They have a cell phone number for a phone that either myself or the nurse practitioner that I work with have on us at all times, so they can reach us directly as well. And then on top of that, we offer them basically our cost for things like laboratories, medications, imaging, and other services. And what we try to do at Wonder Medicine and what most direct primary care clinics try to do is they try to use the the least expensive medications that will get the job done. They try to find good contract, direct pay contracts with imaging centers and laboratories so that people are going to be paying something like $6 for a CBC and $60 for an x-ray. What that basically means is you've got a system where patients have access to their provider whenever they need it. And then on top of that, the provider is going to be very cost savvy. They know what things cost and they will avoid things which are obscenely expensive and shunt patients toward treatments, diagnostics, and therapies that are affordable. What that does is it tips healthcare as we know it in the United States on our head. Because traditional primary care 
is exactly the opposite of that. In traditional primary care, patients don't have access to their providers directly. In fact, we put up as many walls as possible around providers. Patients try to call and they get, you know, answering machines, five-minute messages about COVID-19. They talk to secretaries. Maybe they get in touch with the clinic nurse. But getting in touch with a provider is like a never event. That's something you need to schedule a visit for. And if you have a problem, say, in the middle of the night or on a weekend or something else, you're hosed. You're going to get in touch with the, the secretary on call and they're going to tell you, go to the emergency department. And what drives up healthcare costs more than anything? Escalating care when it's not necessary. And that is why, perhaps that is the main reason why, direct primary care is immediately able to show savings for both individuals and businesses. Because if you can charge someone $75 a month for care, that's maybe $900 or so a year. If you can keep that one patient or one person in that family or, or a few people in an entire business out of the emergency department, you are going to save in a tremendous amount of money because an emergency department visit could cost you know, $1,000, $2,000, dollars depending on how much stuff is done in that visit. And it doesn't take much of that to realize real savings through accessibility of good providers on the front line. And the next important part of that is the cost. Providers in traditional primary care simply don't know what things cost. They sit at their computer on their EMR and they just start ordering things during the visit. Oh, I'm going to refer you to cardiology. Oh, I'm going to refer you to physical therapy. Oh, I just sent over that new medication that you saw on the TV uh, to the pharmacy and you can go pick it up. And what happens is you have a provider that's just trying to do what they think is right for the person. But yet they don't know any of the costs. And so they, they're not able to shop around. Perhaps sometimes there's a similar medication that costs, say, you know, $10 a month as opposed to the $1,000 a month medicine ordered. Perhaps there's another imaging center they could be utilizing that charges a fourth of the price for an MRI, the one they're using. And perhaps the patient didn't necessarily need a referral to a specialist if the primary care provider just could have sat down and read about it for 10 minutes. Maybe that could have been avoided and saved a lot of money. That is why, that are those two reasons, the accessibility of the doctor in direct primary care and the fact that the, the doctor or provider knows what things cost and can be intelligent about referring people to different services is an absolute game changer in healthcare by itself. In one study by the actuary group Millman Inc., they looked at 10 direct primary care practices and basically were just trying to figure out does being involved with the direct primary care save businesses money? And if so, how does it does how does it do it? And what they found is that businesses that sign on for direct primary care have that also provide medical insurance for their employees. So typically they will have a direct primary care that they will contract with. And then on top of that, they will contract with a high deductible insurance plan. And then usually they'll also fund an HSA along with that. And that's a really good insurance package. But, but what Millman Inc. found was that if a business was involved with the direct primary care, their claims costs were decreased by about 20% 
on average. And this was largely driven by the fact that people were kept out of emergency departments. There was a 40% reduction in emergency department visits. And then on top of that, there was a 26% reduction in hospital admissions. Patients are healthier when they have access to care and they have providers focus on prevention. And that is just so, so important. The next big part of the equation is incentives in healthcare. Basically, insurance-based medical care is when you do things, you get paid. And because of that, we have a tendency to recommend more and more things for patients because we want to get paid. Surgeons are going to recommend surgery. Specialist providers are going to recommend that you see them all the time because they want to manage one medication that you're taking. And I'm not saying that things like surgeries and specialist doctors aren't, aren't necessary in a lot of instances. But when you have them getting paid based on when they do stuff, they're obviously going to be more likely to recommend you get something done. The problem is in healthcare is that sometimes when things are done unnecessarily, people get hurt. And number two, they always get billed obscene amounts of money because this is the United States and we charge way too much money for everything in healthcare. Let's look at the incentives in a direct primary care model. You've got a patient who signs up to be part of the direct primary care. And what happens? They pay you the same monthly rate regardless of if they're, if they're sick or healthy. You're giving them other care like imaging, labs, medications at your cost. So you're not incentivized, you're not making any money on that part of the equation. You're just trying to give them what they need at cost, and you're trying to make money off the subscription. Now, if you keep that person healthy, and they only need to come see you twice a year for a physical and for an acute care appointment, that is going to be so much better for your bottom line and operations than if you have someone who's sick who needs to be seen once a week. Now, oftentimes in direct primary care, you get people that are really sick, and you have to invest care for them, say, an hour a week every week for a few months. At $75 a month, those people are getting a screaming deal. And even if someone's coming in once every three or four months for, uh, for you know, management of chronic disease, they're getting a great deal in a direct primary care setup. The incentives are aligned. The goal is to prevent illness, to get people as healthy as possible so that they can be happy and live the lives they want. Whereas the goal in traditional primary care is to see as many patients as possible in a day because you get paid on the number of visits of patients you see, do as many procedures as possible because those pay even more than visits, and just get things done and put out fires as quickly as you can. And it doesn't matter if the patient's healthier or better off as a result of what you've done. In fact, you're better off if they're not, because that means they're going to probably come see you again. It becomes really simple to see why misaligned incentives can lead to escalation of care, and why when you make a better system, like a direct primary care, where people are paying into it regardless of if they're healthy or not, People are going to change the way they do things, and if you make the incentives correct, they are going to change things for the better. Okay, let's talk a little bit about provider burnout in primary care. And we already touched on this a little bit, but the autonomy is a huge issue. 
doctors and other providers are controlled by insurance and the healthcare entities that they work for. And when insurance dictates your care and what you can do, it's not good at all. And sometimes what they make us do becomes so entrenched in our brains that we think that it's absolutely necessary, that it's helpful for care, and in fact it's not helpful at all and adds no value to patients and to providers. I will give you an example. Under medical insurance, we submit a note for every visit we have. For instance, in the hospital, every day I submit a new note on the patient. It is an entirely new note about the same patient. Every time a patient comes into clinic, I, you submit an entirely new note. Why would anyone ever do that? A patient's note should be a living document. It should be something that's edited and changed in real time. It should be something that flows with a patient when they go to a clinic or to a hospital or to a specialty clinic or wherever. And people should just be making tweaks to it and adding stuff, adding a problem to the list, changing the medications, etc. But because insurance requires a new note in order to receive payment every time, we're all so used to doing our H&P our progress note, our clinic note, and none of us even stop to think, what the heck are we doing? It's 2021. We've got living documents for every other thing else that we do, which is the, basically the same type of thing, submitting the same note. Why, why are we reinventing the wheel every time and doing that? And it's because insurance mandates it to get paid. It has nothing to do with health and helping the patient. It certainly doesn't help efficiency in a very busy clinic. And it's so entrenched in our brains that when I bring people on to my direct primary care clinic and say, oh, they've got one note. It's a member note. It's got everything on there. And you can just edit it in real time and you can look at all the track changes through time and the note. They're like, oh, my gosh, that's so cool. And yes, it is cool. And the fact that we're not able to do that in real healthcare because of insurance regulations is just crazy. The other part of autonomy is having an administration that can tell you what you can and cannot do. For instance, administration bans certain medicines and certain treatments that I like to use. They say, for instance, ketamine at, at low doses. They say we only use that in the emergency department and the ICU. You're going to have to give that patient Dilaudid. And Dilaudid is, of course, um, hydromorphone. It's a very uh, potent opioid. It's very similar to heroin, actually. And if you know heroin, you know that it makes it so you stop breathing and potentially die. It makes it so your bowels get shut down. And it's often not a very safe choice. In contrast, low-dose ketamine is very safe. I'm an expert in its use, and for that reason, I want to use it in my practice. Under insurance, under uh, under most of the healthcare agencies that um, I've ever seen or worked for, it's basically banned. And having skills and not being able to use them, even though you have expertise in a subject, is a spirit crusher. It is not something that you want. Another example, you know, you may be spending a bunch of time on your visits with lifestyle stuff, telling people if they eat healthy, exercise, etc., they'll do better and they may not need all these medications. Administration might get mad at you. They might say, "Oh, you should have referred them all to you know all these different specialties, and, and you're you're trying to do too much." And that's not necessarily a good thing either. We do not want people dictating our care. We want autonomy. We're well trained to take care of patients, and we need to be given the flexibility to do what we think patients need. 
Direct primary care allows that when you're in your own business setting or, or you're in a setting where patients can basically pay for something and get what they want. Traditional insurance, not so much all the time. Another big difference between direct primary care and general medical or general primary care is scope of practice. In general medical care, if you've got 20 patients to see in a day and you've got 20 minutes per patient or 30 minutes per patient, usually you've got basically 10 to 15 minutes per patient and then the other 10 to 15 minutes is paperwork and computer work. But if you're doing that, you're not going to have hardly any time to look things up, to solve problems, and to do procedures throughout the day. That's an issue because you can imagine that if you're reflex is to send someone to a specialist before spending 10 minutes to read about it and seeing if you could take care of it definitively yourself, that's a problem. The more people involved with care equals more expensive. If I have five different accountants, that's going to be more expensive to get my taxes done than one accountant taking care of it. By the same token, when you've got multiple different doctors or providers, you're going to have more and more communication issues. You're going to have more and more differences of opinion between services, and they're not going to be talking well because people in healthcare don't talk well. Patients often say to me, oh, you talk to my, my this specialist or that specialist or that or that, and when I'm in the hospital, I'm just like, no, I'm running around as fast as I can trying to see patients, and I'll be lucky to call your primary care at discharge. I am not talking to every single specialist you've ever seen. I just don't have time. Ideally, you would, though. Ideally, you'd have time, and you would call all those people, and they would love to hear from you, but you would call them in our modern setup, and they would say, wait, who are you talking about? Okay, great. Sounds good. Do whatever you think. Have them follow up with me in, you know, whatever a week and I'll so I can submit a bill or whatever. But at the end of the day, if you have a primary care doctor that is flexing their scope of care, if they're taking on more things, if they can say manage your psychiatric medications, if they can manage your chronic heart disease, if they can manage other issues, they're going to be providing great value to you. Because one, they know you intricately. Two, if they can treat it and take care of it. That means there's going to be no communication loss between that provider and other providers. And three, there's going to be cost savings. And when you're in a direct primary care setting, basically all, all you think about is you want to save these people money. You want to offer them value. And by in, in order to offer them value, you have to take on a broad scope of care, take care of a lot of things, and be able to handle things that come in your door. Things like sutures. Things like casting of, of, of fractures that don't require surgery and a number of other things. And everything you can do adds value to your clinic. For instance, I'm pretty handy with an ultrasound. I tend to use it for point-of-care echocardiograms, DVT checks. I look at people's gallbladders. And I also use it whenever I can't get an IV in somebody's arm. I grab the ultrasound. I get it in. If, if nobody can get the lab, guess who grabs the ultrasound and gets, gets some blood so we can get a sample? I do. Patients sometimes tell me, oh, nobody's gotten my blood in 10 years. I'm like, oh, well, how are they doing healthcare on you? Like, you need labs. So the fact that direct primary care encourages a provider to broaden their scope of care, be able to do more, and the fact that they have time during the day to look things up really adds value to the patient, helps control costs, and it's just a good way to perform healthcare. And again, I'm not saying that specialties or specialists are necessary. I, of course, need them in my practice too, but primary care has gotten way too narrow. We are way, way um, too 
dependent on specialists. I get people who are like, oh, I don't manage insulin. What? You don't manage insulin in your primary care doctor? Everyone in America has diabetes. You better get your game together or you're going to be basically a useless doctor. So that is something that's that's really important, scope of care. And as primary care scope has gotten more narrow, that too has, con- has contributed to burnout because everyone likes to be able to do things and use their hands. And when you're just a referral monkey, that's not going to be a happy situation for you or anyone else. Essentially, direct primary care is a growing movement across the United States. It basically is a grassroots movement that was designed to help providers regain their autonomy, help increase the transparency of pricing in medicine, improve the accessibility of providers, and it also improves the accountability of providers. When people pay you directly, you feel accountable to them. And you just do. You're like, holy cow, this guy is putting money in my bank account. You love that person because they're investing in you and you want to invest in them too. These incentives are real and they matter. And what all this stuff culminates to is actually cherishing the doctor-patient relationship or the provider-patient relationship. When you have so many other entities, third parties, that get between the provider and the patient, bad things happen. When an insurance company is telling you what you can and can't do and telling you you need to do all this ridiculous paperwork in order to get paid, you're going to get sad. When your hospital administration or other people are doing that same thing to you as well, it's going to make you sad too and it's going to hurt your relationship with your patients and it's not going to be good. And so that is why direct primary care has sort of grown up out of nothing And that's why it's doing so well overall, and we're seeing more and more clinics all the time popping up and doing this. What's up, Full Scope listeners? If you are enjoying this content, if this content is bringing you value, please share it with your friends, loved ones, and everyone else. Post it online, on social media. Let your friends know. Have them subscribe. Put the word out there. That's all we really ask. And at the very least, give us a review and rate the podcast. Thanks so much. Let's get back to the show. Now, I should be totally honest with you. Starting a direct primary care clinic and being a business owner is not easy. And in fact, when you start your clinic, you're going to be very frustrated because it's hard to get patients to convert over to you. People are so dependent on insurance that they just don't understand and they're willing to pay $500 to go to a regular urgent care six months from now than pay you $150 to get direct care right away. Because they don't want to pay it now, they'd rather get a bill in the mail for 2000 bucks than, than get a much more affordable bill now. And I, you come across that all the time and all kinds of other issues. But if you can stick with it, if you can persevere, if you can continue to take great care of all the people willing to invest in you, you will grow. But it will be tough. And at the end of the day, you may make less money than you would have having signed on for a job under insurance. Because insurance pays a lot, and when you look at actual hours worked to start a clinic like this, you're going to put in way more hours than you would 
just working through the man through a general clinic. And so it's definitely tough to start a direct primary care. There's definitely a lot of growing pains. You're definitely going to want some money in the bank to get the thing off the ground. And you're going to really think about this. Is this the right choice? Am I willing to take on all this financial risk to start this business? And if you are so burned out by insurance-based care and you just want to spend more time with your patients, you want to actually think about costs, you're willing to flex your muscles and increase your scope of care, and you're willing to go against the grain, you can probably be successful because there is so much need for direct primary care in this country. And all of that is in spite of the fact that every piece of legislation seems to undermine direct primary care. Why can't a patient get an insurance plan that truly just covers catastrophic care and then sign on with a direct primary care for, for their routine care? Because insurance and and Everyone else wants you to lock into the system all the way so that you can't get out, people can't iterate, and you can't disrupt. It's sad but true. All the laws are set up to make it hard for direct primary care to thrive. There are silly rules in place like uh, that, that kind of question whether or not people can use their HSA money to pay for their monthly subscription because a direct primary care is like supposedly some sort of insurance product. It's not that. It's a subscription-based primary care. Why are we putting up these barriers for giving people exceptional access to high-value primary care? And the reason is simple. Because people on the other side of the coin, on the traditional medical care, practice care stuff, are making lots of money. So they've set up the laws to make it hard for disruptive companies like direct primary cares to take off and do well. But as direct primary cares clinics continue to do well as they continue to grow and as we continue to get more and more power we're going to see some of those laws improve and get better and that's what organizations like um, the direct primary care um, coalition uh, are working on is getting better laws better legislation the other thing we're seeing in direct primary care is is big direct primary care start to form, you know, clinic systems with 200, 300 plus clinics. And those organizations are exciting to me because when you get that many patients and that many companies and you've got that, that much of a workforce, you can really start to generate data. And data is really what's going to be needed to show everybody and especially show employers, hey, look, we truly can save you money. Here's the data. Here's a company that joined joined our direct primary care five years ago. They were paying this amount on medical costs before. Now they're paying this. And if you can show them a cost savings while taking them taking incredibly good care of their people, this thing is going to take over everything. And we're not going to have to worry about you know Washington coming up with the solution for primary care. We're just going to take it back organically, and it's going to put pressure on the rest of healthcare to change and be better. I believe direct primary care is a good way to disrupt our healthcare system. I think it is really good for primary care doctors. It realigns the relationship with our patients. It gives us our autonomy back and it lets us practice the way that we want. I hope to see more direct primary cares continue to succeed and I hope to keep growing my own direct primary care. 
I want to say thank you to all of the doctors who have paved the way in the direct primary care field. At the end of the day, you guys really aren't innovators, no offense, but you basically just took back the ideas or how we of how we used to do healthcare from 50 to 100 years ago. But that was brave. That was really brave of you to do in the system that you did 20, 25 years ago when people were first starting to launch these things. So thank you so much for your bravery, for taking the risk. You guys have inspired me. And I want to say that, I guess the final thing I want to say is that if you are a direct primary care, every other direct primary care clinic is your friend. Do not look at them as your competition. Look at them as part of this growing movement that is trying to help everybody. If you think about it, most direct primary cares need about 600 patients per provider. That's about, uh, you know, in a normal clinic, a provider might take care of 2,000 patients on their primary care panel. So you don't really need many patients to fill up your clinic. And so there's no reason to pretend like you're in competition with the direct primary care two miles away from you. There is, you know, especially if you're in a city or, or an urban area, there's going to be a lot of patients you know, around you to fill those 600 spots and you are not the enemy of the patient down the street. You are in fact the friend. So don't look at each other as enemies. Look at each other as friends. I hope to see direct primary care band together. I hope to see us keep growing. And until some better idea comes along, I think this is the best possible way that we can disrupt healthcare and give primary care back some of their autonomy and prestige. Okay, and finally, just a word for businesses. This is just a little discussion about how you might think about using direct primary care for your organization. Let's say you're a company with more than 50 employees and you have to offer a full-service wraparound insurance product. Well, like I said earlier, a great way to do it is get a high-deductible group insurance plan that is HSA-eligible, and then get all your people on a direct primary care membership as well. And what you do with that is you try and get all the care taken care of by the direct primary care. You try to pay out care with the HSA. Sometimes as a company, if you if you have enough money, maybe you pay for other things directly too. Like maybe you send someone to one of the referral centers that will do a total knee replacement for $15,000. And when you compare that to most uh, companies submitting bills for like, or most um, hospitals and, and, and ortho groups submitting bills for, you know, $70,000, $100,000 for a total knee, that's going to save you a lot of money. But basically what you're doing is you're trying to never touch your high deductible group insurance plan. You don't want to use it. Think about it like you would auto insurance. The second you touch your auto insurance, your monthly payment is going to go up drastically. And so what you do is, unless it's a really bad injury or something that you can't afford to pay out yourself, is you don't touch that insurance policy so that the cost doesn't go up and ideally it just starts going down. That is, I think, the best way for a larger company who's mandated to do wraparound insurance to handle their health care. I think that will result in the most savings and it will start to just get insurance to trickle down and down in price, and it'll incentivize more healthcare companies to be disruptive and offer transparently priced products 
for you to utilize, like the orthopedic surgeon who's going to do your total knee for $15,000, like the specialist who's going to set up a referral system for 200 bucks for their visit. This by, by businesses buying into this system and trying to contract things out directly, you stimulate us providers to offer these services directly, and you embolden us to leave the status quo system. And so as companies start to sign on to that mentality, they start to not touch their insurance plan for anything that they can afford themselves, uh, we're going to see a, a really cool grassroots change, and employers have a lot of power in when you look at things that way. Another good way for a company to use direct primary care is to just give their employees direct primary care or maybe pay half of their direct primary care subscription. I think for smaller businesses that are involved in things like construction, landscaping, uh, the hospitality businesses, restaurants, bars, etc., a lot of these people are are just scraping by, you know, they're not being paid a lot of money, they don't have access to health care, and what you can do is give them a membership to a direct primary care, it's going to be, you know, a fourth or a fifth or a sixth of the price of giving them an insurance policy, and you're going to be giving them a true benefit. You're signing them up for that direct primary care, that means they get unlimited access to a provider who cares about them. That is going to pay dividends for their health and life. It's going to give them some place to go if they need stitches, if they get a cold, if they have a problem. They won't feel like they can't access health care or they're going to get bankrupted. And so for smaller businesses that don't want to bite off getting a full medical insurance plan for their people, but they want to give them a truly tangible, good medical benefit option, a direct primary care membership can be a great call. And even if you can't pay for the whole thing, you know, I realize it is so hard to be in business. It is so hard to make money. Bottom lines are so tough. But if you could even say pay 30 or $40 of each of your, you know, each of the people who work at your restaurant's direct primary care plan, they could be responsible for the other $35 and then they could get great health care at a really affordable rate, you know, a few hundred dollars a year. There are a lot of ways to offer direct primary care within your business, within your family, within whatever group you are taking care of as far as benefits go. And if you would like to discuss this more, call Wonder Medicine Clinic at any time. If you're not in the Boise area, I bet if you call any of the direct primary cares in your area, they should be able to help you navigate that as well. Finally, I just want to state my conflict of interest. Of course, I own a direct primary care clinic. I make money off of that. I truly do believe in the system, but still, as someone who has financially, um, as someone who is financially tied to direct primary care, I really think it should be stated as a conflict of interest for this presentation. Thank you so much for listening to the Full Scope Podcast and investing in your health. I'm Dr. Bill Randenberg. If you're enjoying the content, 
please rate, review, and share this content with all of your friends online and all your social media platforms. Please understand that this podcast is not intended to treat, diagnose, or cure your specific medical condition. This podcast does not create any type of doctor-patient relationship between myself, Dr. Brandenburg, and you, the listener. If you do need help with your life, with your health, with anything regarding your longevity or performance, please check out wondermedicine.com. Our longevity and performance program is the best in the world and is ready to help you right now, today, become the best possible individual you can be. Thanks. Bye-bye. Pew.